0: Part 3, Chapter 7 of Mushrooms on the Moor. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Lillis. Mushrooms on the Moor by Frank W. Borum. Part 3, Chapter 7 Lily. I was once advised to write a novel. I scouted the suggestion at the time, and I scout it still. If you write a novel, you run a great risk. One of these days, somebody may read it you never know what queer things people may do nowadays and if somebody should read it your secret is out and the paucity of your imagination stands grimly exposed no i shall not write a novel although this article will be something in the nature of a novelette for i have found a heroine and many a full-blown novelist having found a heroine would consider that he had come upon a novel ready-made my heroine is lily and lily to break the news gently was a pig I say was advisedly, for Lily is dead, and therein lies the pathos of my story. And so I have my heroine, and I have my story, and I have my strong suffusion of sentiment all ready to my hand. And really I feel half inclined to write my novel after all. But let me state the facts, for which I am prepared to vouch, that then it will be time enough to see if we can weave them into a great and classical romance. Away on the top of a hill in a rural district of Tasmania there stands a quaint little cottage down the slopes around and away along the distant valleys are great belts of virgin bush but here on the hill is our quaint little cottage and in or about the cottage you will find a quaint little couple they may not be able to discuss the latest aspects of the balkan question or the irish crisis or the mexican imbroglio but they can discuss questions that are very much older and are likely to last very much longer for they can discuss fowls and sheep and pigs and depend upon it fowls and sheep and pigs were discussed long before the bulk in question was dreamed of and fowls and sheep and pigs will be discussed long after the bulk in question is forgotten and so the old couple makes you feel ashamed of your simpering superficiality you are amazed that you can have grown so excited about the things of the moment and you blush for your own ignorance of the things that were and are and shall be yes john and mary can discuss fowls for they have a half-dozen of them and can call each bird by name whilst poor mary's back was turned for a moment the rooster flew on to the table really tom you naughty boy she cried on discovering the outrage i am ashamed of you and to impress the whole feathered community with the enormity of the offense she proceeded to drive them all out of the kitchen go on lucy she cried with a note of sadness betraying itself in her voice in spite of her assumed severity go on lucy and she flapped her apron to show that she meant it much as an advancing army might defiantly flutter its flag Go on, and you too, Minnie and Nellie and Kate and Nancy, you must all go. It was a dreadful thing to do. I don't know what you were thinking of, Tom. I said that John and Mary could discuss sheep, but their flock was a very limited one, for it consisted entirely of Bertie, the pet lamb. I cannot tell, probably through some defect in my imagination, why they called him Bertie, nor fancy, for that matter, why they called him a lamb. I can imagine that he may have been a lamb once, but of feathers I could discover no trace at all. Yes, after all, these are prosaic details, and only show how incompetent a novelist I should prove to be. I grovel when I ought to soar. John and Mary were very fond of Bertie, and Bertie was very fond of them. He came trotting up when he was called, wagging his long tail as though a proof positive that he was still a lamb. It was scarcely a triumph of logic on Bertie's part, and yet it was just about as good as the artistic subterfuges by which lots of us try to convince the world and his wife that we are still in the charming stage of lamb-like simplicity and then there was lily the old couple were very fond of lily how carefully they made her bed on cold nights how considerately they fed her on boiled potatoes skim milk and other wondrous delicacies she too came shambling up whenever she heard her name and with a grunt acknowledged their bounty dear old lily poor mary exclaimed fervently as lily lifted her snout to be rubbed and looked with queer piggish eyes into those of her doting mistress Yes, Lily was a pig, but she was none the worse for that, and if any ridiculous person objects to my taking a pig for my heroine, I shall take offence and write no more novels. Lily, I repeat, was none the worse for being a pig, and I am sure that John and Mary were none the worse for loving her. It was always safe to love, for if you love that which cannot profit by your love, your love comes back to you, like Noah's dove, and you yourself are none the poorer. But I am not at all sure that affection was wasted on Lily. Why should it be? There is no disgrace in being born a pig." it did not even show bad taste on lily's part for lily was not asked she came and found on arrival that she was what men called a pig and as a pig she performed her part so well that those who knew her grew very fond of her what more can the best of us do and after all why this squeamishness why this revulsion of feeling when i announce that my heroine is a pig i aver that it is a species of snobbery a very contemptible species of snobbery booker washington used to declare that a high-grade berkshire boar or a poland china sow is one of the finest sights on this planet and one of our own philosophers has gone into rhapsodies over the pig pigs he says quote, always seem to me like a fallen race that has seen better days they are able intellectual inquisitive creatures when they are driven from place to place they are not gentle or meek like cows and sheep who follow the line of least resistance the pig is suspicious and cautious. He is sure that there is some uncomfortable plot on foot, not wholly for his good, which he must try to thwart if he can. Then, too, he never seems quite at home in his deplorably filthy surroundings. He looks at you up to the knees and ooze, out of his little eyes, as if he would live in a more cleanly way if he were permitted. Pigs always remind me of the mariners of Homer, who were transformed by Circe. There is a dreadful humanity about them, as if they were trying to endure their base conditions philosophically, waiting for their release." All this I entreat my critic to lay well to heart before he judges me too severely for selecting Lily as my heroine. I suppose the truth is, if only my supercilious critics could be trusted to tell the whole truth, that Lily is not good-looking enough for them. But that, again, is a question of taste. Beauty is relative and not absolute. My critics may themselves be at fault. The real trouble may be not want of comeliness in Lily, but a sad lack of appreciation in themselves— I noticed that the champion Yorkshire sow at the Sydney show this year was Mr. E. Jenkins' Queen of Beauty, and as I gazed upon her photograph and noted her alluring name, I thought once more of Lily and laughed in my sleeve at my critics. I once spent a week with an old Lincolnshire gentleman at Kiwi in New Zealand, and almost before I had been able to bolt the meal that awaited my arrival, he begged me to come and see the pigs.' "'and at the very first animal to which we came "'my happy host rubbed his hands in an ecstasy of pride "'while his eyes fairly sparkled. "Baint not he a beauty?' he asked me excitedly. "'And I answered confidently that he was. "'I could see at a glance that the pig was a beauty to him, "'and if he was a beauty to him, he was a beauty, "'and there remained no more to be said. "'I remember reading a story of two ministers "'who met beneath the hospitable roof "'of an old-fashioned English farmhouse.' One of them no sooner approached the table than he uttered an exclamation of delight. Picking up one of the cups, he spoke of the wonderful beauty of the china. He held the plates up to the light and asked the others to see how thin they were, and went into ecstasies over the wondrous old china that had been in the farmhouse for many generations. The other took little interest in his talk, and could not be aroused to enthusiasm over the china. But when the farmer took out of his cupboard some old books, one of which was a black-letter commentary, he became excited he turned the pages over lovingly and pointed to the quaint initials and became eloquent over their beauties the farmer thought both men silly neither the china nor the books seemed precious to him what a heap of nonsense you be talking surely he said now if you want to see something worth seeing come along with me and i'll show you the finest litter pigs in the country i know of course that beaten at every other point my critics will take their stand on dietetic grounds how can you have a pig for your heroine they will ask "'with their noses turned up in disgust. "'See what a pig eats!' "'Now I confess that this objection did appear to me to be serious "'until I went into the matter a little more carefully. "'Before abandoning poor Lily and consigning her to everlasting obscurity, "'it seemed to me that I owed it to her, as a matter of common gallantry, "'to investigate this charge. "'An author has no more right than any other man to toy with feminine affections, "'and having pledged myself to Lily as my heroine, "'I dared not commit a breach of promise, save on the most serious grounds.' Into this matter of Lily's diet I therefore plunged, with results that have surprised myself. I find that Lily is the most fastidious of eaters. Experiments made in Sweden show that, out of 575 plants, the goat eats 449 and refuses 126. The sheep, out of 528 plants, eats 387 and refuses 141. The cow, out of 494 plants, eats 276 and refuses 218. The horse, out of 474 plants, eats 262, and refuses 212. Whilst the pig, out of 243 plants, eats 72, and refuses 171. From all these fiery ordeals my heroine therefore emerges triumphant, and her critics cut a sorry figure. Theirs is the melancholy fate of all those who will insist on judging from appearance. It is the oldest mistake in the world, and it is certainly the saddest many like lily have been judged hastily and falsely and as in lily's case the evil thought has clung to them as though it were a charge established and under that dark cloud they have lived shadowed and embittered lives half the pathos of the universe lies just there one thing affords me unbounded pleasure if i take lily for my heroine after all i shall be following a noble precedent michael fairless in the Roadmender*, did something very much like it in early spring she says i took a long nap "'Towards the afternoon, tired and thirsty, "'I sought water at a little lonely cottage. "'Bees worked and sang over the thyme and majorum in the garden, "'and in a homely sty lived a solemn black pig, "'a pig with a history. "'It was no common utilitarian pig, "'but the honoured guest of the old couple who lived there, "'and the pig knew it. "'A year before, their youngest and only surviving child, "'then a man of five and twenty, "'had bought his mother the result of his savings "'in the shape of a fine young pig. "'A week later he lay dead of the typhoid.' hence the pig was sacred cared for and loved by this darby and joan e be most like a child to me and the mother and most as sensible as a christian e be the old man said what a world of illusion this is to be sure it takes a good pair of eyes to see through its good-humoured trickery you see a pig turning this way and that way as he wanders aimlessly about the yard and you never dream of romance and yet that pig is none other than lily you see another pig in a commonplace sty and you never dream of pathos but old joan wipes a tear from her eye with her apron when she remembers how that pig came into her possession there is a world of poetry in pig styes. yes and pathos too of its kind for as i said lily is dead it was this way john and mary are not rich and a pig is a pig what about lily mary john asked awkwardly one day you see mary she's got to die if we keep her she'll die and if we sell her she'll only die If we keep her, Mary, she may die of some disease, and we shall see her in pain. If we sell her, she will die suddenly and feel no pain. And then, Mary, he continued slowly, as though afraid to introduce so prosaic an aspect of so pathetic a theme, and then, Mary, if she dies here, look at the loss, for Lily's a pig, you know, and if we sell her, look at the gain, and with part of the money we can get another pet and be just as fond of it. There were protests and there were tears, but Lily went to market. "'A while afterwards John came home from the city with a parcel. "'Mary,' he said hesitatingly, "'I've brought you home a bit of Lily. "'I thought I'd like to see how she'd eat. "'Next morning at breakfast they neither of them ate heartily, "'but they both tasted. "'There is food that is too sacred for a glut of appetite.' "'Ah, well,' said John at last, "'those who eat Lily will none of them say anything but good of her. "'That's one comfort.' "'And Mary went silently off to see if she could find another.' End of Mushrooms on the Moor by Frank W. Borum.